Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Hey gardening friends, good to be here. The team is ready. Bev Daring is back. Yay. 94841927 is our number. And of course, John Glidden is standing by. If you don't want to call in, you can email us. Our email is gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And a big shout out to Chris Bartlett. Flying solo this morning, nevertheless, very enthusiastic, uh, along with famous, fabulously nostalgic music that you can always rely on Chris to play. And Jim Crinan didn't do the cycling this morning wrap-up, but he will be here at 10am with the classic 70s for you. So let me see. Let's Talk Gardening is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. My work is done. How are you, Faye? Very good. How are you, Ray? Good. You've had a sensational week. Oh, I can see yes. that you're just sort of... <laughs> Buzzing. Yeah, it's just sort of, what's the word, uh, oozing out of you, overflowing <sighs> your, your incitement and enthusiasm. <laughs> Well, you should see the driveway this morning, Ray. We've had a bloom burst. The The gum trees have gone nuts. They've burst all their little caps mm. and the, the driveway is littered with these little gum caps. So lots of blossoms out there. And, you know, I think we're, we're in for a bumper flower season. We actually had rain falling mm, we did. three times this week. Oh, okay. You've been lucky. We but did get only, some rain. Uh, only drips yeah. sometimes, but yeah. we did have a decent downpour. We did. Was it Wednesday, I think? Could Wednesday have been. Morning? Yeah, there was some rain. It was absolutely fabulous. I couldn't believe my ears. <laughs> I don't know whether it was forecast or not, but we'll take it. I know. Yeah, it was quite it was a just, surprise. It was fantastic. Mm. Absolutely loved it. We've got interesting show. We always try and make it interesting for you. Uh, two very special interviews this morning. At 8.20, we're chatting with Dr Tom Crowett, botanist with the Missouri Botanic Gardens in Missouri. Now, he has been in Perth for the Aroid Society of Australia. He's, he's How can you describe him? Legend. An absolute legend. Mm. And uh, it's... We cannot uh, recommend Tom highly enough for you to listen in. Uh, you know, well, because... you want to sit back and grab a cup of tea because, because he, just... he he knows how to talk. He knows how to talk. And we get right down to it. We really do. And at five past nine, Gardening Royalty, ABC Gardening, Gardening Australia, Jane Edmondson is joining us at five past nine because they're all in town for the Kalamunda Garden Festival, which, of course, is happening tomorrow. And we will talk more about that soon. But I can see that we have people who want to talk to us. We're in Mandra. John, good morning. Hi, John. Oh, good morning. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, really enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I've got frangipanis that um, have got a white scale coming on the leaves um, as they're... Um, in fact, it's been the last two seasons, and I'm just wondering whether you might know what it is and uh, how I can get rid of it. When you say scale... 
if you scrape it, I'm assuming it comes away quite easily. If you squash it and it oozes, then it is possibly an actual scale insect. But if it yeah. if it just flicks off quite easily and is dry, it can be like sugar crystals that have formed when something has pierced the leaf and the sap has oozed out and dried and hardened off. So that's what you need to look for. Um, yeah. So I actually hosed. Yeah, I, I hosed one particular plant yesterday. Cleaned it completely, and it was um, like um, crisp, sort of um, the scale, and um, and then it's all back this morning. Oh, okay. Can you send us photo, please, John? Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, I can. Mm. If it if it's the milky sap oozing out and hardening off, then there's probably a pest getting in there and piercing the surface. Um, so right. then you'd you'd look further and it might be something very small that you might not see. You might need to get a magnifying glass and inspect the leaf under and yeah. over, underneath the leaf and on the top. But, yes, if you can send us a photo through and I'll yeah. I'll have a look at what I can see. Yeah, it's coming up on the flower stems as well. Um, so it's yeah, it's a bit odd, really. Mm, okay. I, I wondered whether um, you know, like spraying with white oil or something like that might have um, been a. That's why I'm sort of mm, wondering if, whether you've come across it. So. If it is an insect, then that is something you can do. And I, you know, I'm assuming that it probably is, but. It would be good to know and it would be good to understand if it's widespread and it's not just you that it's happening to. So a photo will be helpful and that way we get a, a snapshot of what's going on where and you're in Mandurah. Okay. Mm. Yes. Yep. All right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I can do where, where did you want the photo sent? Okay. I'm going to put you back to Bev, John, and she can give you okay. our email address. How's that? All right. Thanks, Perfect. John. Cheers. Okay. All right, now we're in Balladura talking about a magnolia. Margaret, good morning. Good morning, girls. How are you? Very good, good thanks, Margaret. How can we help you? Okay, so I have a magnolia which is probably about three to four metres high, growing lovely, but um, because it's near the pool fence, I've been told I have to cut the lower limbs off. Right, I mean, yes. Yeah. So now is that going to kill my magnolia tree? No, I wouldn't think no. so. Do it very carefully and cleanly. Have you got a good sharp saw, Margaret? Good sharp saw. I oh, definitely could find one down in the shed, I'm sure. Okay. And rather than, rather than a saboteur or a, um, a, a lopper? Well, how, how big are the branches? Uh, Gosh, probably, yeah, I suppose they are quite thick. Mm. So, okay, all right. Okay, and I'll give you a, a lesson in pruning. There's a three-cut method. If it is a heavy branch, you can imagine that if you cut close to the trunk and you're putting yeah. in a cut at the top, the weight of the branch can actually pull that branch down and it can tear yeah. against the trunk. Mm. So okay. what we do is we do... A cut underneath, so it's from underneath and it's out. Okay? Okay. And then you actually do three cuts, two underneath and one on top. Your third cut is the final cut. 
So you do your first one further away from underneath. The right. second one from the top. Right. And so when the branch falls, the weight comes back. It doesn't tear against the trunk. Okay? Okay. And then the third one is your final cut, and it's a nice clean cut right next to the trunk. So close to the trunk. Okay. Yeah. No worries. So right. if I had someone holding on to the branches, I could just do the one cut? Or it, do you still suggest to do those three? It depends on the weight of the branch. The weight. Okay. Yep. 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 Okay. So All right. it should be safe to do it then. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm not going to lose my lovely magnet. No, and the tree will heal itself. Just make sure that your, your pruners are clean. Okay, lovely. Now, one other question. I have some lily pillies that I want to put in the ground. Yes. They're topiaries, um, and, but they need another reshaping. Should I wait till I put them in the ground for a while before I reshape No, no. Them? With, with anything uh, hedging, you kind of need to do little and often. Okay, so it won't hurt it if I repot it, replant it and, and uh, tidy it up at the same time? No, that should be fine. The only other thing is like when you're doing it, just um, you can almost transplant things without them knowing they've been moved. So if you've got a very okay. nice hole and you take the pot out um, or you remove the plant from its pot and put it in and settle it in and it doesn't dry out, doesn't get a shock, you will find that that plant just goes on from strength to strength. Lovely. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a great day, Margaret. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now let's head to Manning and we're talking about lavender, a nice cross-section for the morning so Mm. far. Hi, Andrea. Good morning. Morning. Hello. I've just got a question about lavender. It's um, quite an old lavender, about five years old, and it's in a pot, but it's gone quite woody. And I want to know if there is any way of actually making it bushy again. Uh, Yes, regular pruning, but not back into that whole dead wood. And like I just said to the other lady about her topiary, little and often, uh, and you can get a bushier plant back. But the other thing is when you are cutting it back, look at taking some cuttings and getting, getting a new plant because lavender's can get too old and too leggy and if it's been in the same pot for five years it it might get to a point where it's just um, really too far gone you would at least need to put it into the next size pot up and some good potting mix and that will also encourage and help with new growth okay I shall do that I'll replay it and then see how it goes (laughs) yeah but take cuttings as well that way you hedge your bets Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrea. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. And this morning we're giving away 10 doubles to the Kalamunda Garden Festival, which is on tomorrow. So I think we'll do five doubles this hour, five doubles the following hour. And we've also got our regular $75 gift vouchers to give away from Bigger Trees and also Green Life Soil Co. So lots of goodies coming up. And as we've mentioned, two fabulous interviews coming up. Tom... Uh, can talk underwater with a mouthful of marble. So we recommend you get a cuppa and kick back and just listen to what this man has to say. Uh, he's a botanist and, uh, yeah, as as Faye has said, an absolute legend. We can't talk highly enough of him and his adventures. Uh, and we're actually also creating a podcast of Tom as well because there's a lot more than we can just cram into a short interview this morning. Yes, we're very so, privileged 
for him giving us his, his time, time and sharing his passion. 57 years mm. working mm. at at this. So, yeah, listen, listen up, folks, because this is, mm. yeah, pretty monumental stuff. And because we've got a busy morning, I actually think I'm going to give away a $75 gift voucher right now, mm. okay, because I think we've got the time and it's it's opportune. So this time, Green Life Soil Co. If you'd like to go shopping, a Green Life Soil Co. $75 gift voucher up for grabs if you are a Curtin FM member and you haven't won a prize in the last 28 days to keep it fair. All right, uh, you know our number. Here it is, 94841927. Now, Green Life Soil Co. are not just another soil yard. Oh, no, they're not. Delivering a green garden is their motto. And they do support the gardening industry in many ways. And one of the major sponsors of Kalamunda Garden Festival tomorrow, actually, on their Facebook page this week, I spied some gorgeous little mini greenhouses. One thing that make a very cute Christmas present, don't you? And a tool that assists you in making recyclable pots from newspaper. Oh, yeah, wow. To plant mm. into. And I thought, well, see, typical Linda, she's totally into recycling and permaculture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they also have stock in a great range of organically grown veggies, herbs, bush tucker and flower seedlings. You can check out their monthly newsletter. It has heaps of timely information and there's a garden guide on their website. It's all free. Just register online if you'd like to become a member. Go to greenlifesoil.com.au and whilst you're there, have a good read through of their website. There's a lot to see and a lot of information on it. Okay. They are open Monday to Saturday each week and we recommend you browse their Facebook page too. Here is your question, true or false. This I should say this is John's question. And I think the English listeners amongst us might get this more easily. True or false, pears are used to make both perry and scrumpy drinks. True or false, pears are used to make both perry and scrumpy drinks. Give Bev a call now on 94841927. Typical tricky John. I must admit, I had never, ever heard that term. That's right. And I, I actually <laughs> went back to an email and said, this wouldn't happen to be English, would it, John? Because John's, you know, quite a staunch mm. Englishman. And uh, that is where he's drawing his experience. But the lights are already flashing. And I know that they'll have the answer uh, very, very soon. Okay. Going for a short break. On the other side, we are chatting with Dr. Tom Crowett, botanist with the Missouri Botanic Gardens in Missouri. Okay. Good Lord, that actually frightened me. I didn't know what was going on then. Look, we've only had one call to our question for the Green Life Soil Co. $75 gift voucher. It's quite a mouthful. I'm going to give you the question again. Of course, you must be a Curtin FM member and not to won a prize in the last 28 days. This is hard. This is this is John creating questions. He thinks you've got to earn your $75 gift voucher. Uh, true or false? Pears are used to make both perry and scrumpy drinks. Is it true or is it false? Pears are used to make both perry and scrumpy drinks. Go for it, folks. You've got a 50-50 <laughs> chance. Absolutely. 
Dr. Tom Crowett is an American botanist and considered one of botanical history's most prolific plant collectors. Tom has worked with the Missouri Botanical Gardens for more than 50 years. Tom's life passion is tropical plants, in particular the Aracee family known as Aroids. Thanks to Tom, the Missouri Botanical Gardens has the largest living collection of Aroids in the world. Good morning, Tom, and welcome to Perth. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. And thank you for coming on Let's Talk Gardening with us. We really appreciate it. And I know the listeners will be just loving what they're about to hear from someone of your calibre we don't get to speak to very often. As I was saying to you a little while ago, I've been watching you on YouTube and uh, your life's work is absolutely amazing. So for the sake of our listeners, can you explain very, very briefly uh, who Tom Crowett really is? Who is he? Well, I was born and raised in a small farm in Iowa. I didn't know much about plants except separating the weeds from the corn, which was <laughs> essential. But after I attended the military, I came home and with a little bit of money that you were able to borrow at that time, I started going to college and I met a, my first professor was a taxonomist, somebody who names and classifies plants. And I was very impressed with that. So right then and there, I wanted to become a taxonomist. And then I further went to, after my university training, I went to the mm. Virgin Islands to work. And there I really encountered, for the first time, tropical plants. I collected them and dried them in my oven in my apartment. <laughs> and later traveled for four months in South America. And when I returned to the United States, I taught school for one semester and then went to the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. And it was there when I, when I first started officially being a botanist because I was trained as a botanist at that university. Mm. And this uh, enabled me to spend a lot of time in, in Costa Rica where I attended an OTS course. And after that, I moved to the Missouri Botanical Gardens to begin work on Barrel, Colorado Island in Panama. Wow. Now, you've been doing that for 57 years, am I correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah. I'm now the, not only the oldest, but the longest serving uh, member of the Missouri Botanical Garden staff and uh, still working, uh, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week. So I. Phenomenal. I've never taken a day of vacation. Uh, no, I took two months of vacation in my entire career and I've never been sick one day. So I. They're getting their money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely are. This is your life. Can you, can you tell listeners? You specialize, obviously, it's all about aroids. What are aroids? Well, the Aracee family is uh, a called, common name is aroid, just like orchid is the name, common name for orchidaceae. Mm. But uh, the orchids are well known to people yes. for some reason, but aroids are very poorly known. Correct. And it's because they don't recognize the similarities between anthurium and philodendron and monstera and spathophyllum and so forth. But these things all have one thing in common. Their flowers are congested into a small thing we call a spadix. It's like a cone or a spike. Mm -hmm. ver the flowers are very tiny in comparison to roses, for example. But they're all aggregated into a, a thing called a spadix, which is like a corn cob. It's got lots of little flowers. And then you also have the division of sexes so that some species have the female flowers separated from the male flowers, yeah. like philodendron, and uh, philodendron has female flowers at the base of the spadix. There are many ways that these uh, can be separated from one another, and they're really very 
interesting and detailed differences. Once you see the differences, it's very obvious. Uh, anthurium, for example, people are often confusing anthurium and philodendron, but yeah. in reality, there's hardly any resemblance, whatever, because the venation is completely unique. The venation, that is to say the veins of the leaf, yeah. are unique for each genus. Mm. I can generally identify any genus by taking just a strip of the blade between the midrib, the, the midvlein, and the margin and tell you what genus it is, mm. at least in the New World tropics. So with something like philodendrons, how, how do we determine the differences? What are some of the key characteristics that we would look for in trying to name and describe one of our plants? Keep in mind that uh, most large aeroid genera have every conceivable type of blade. So you would not know it by its blade, but rather by its other characteristics. The venation is all strictly parallel and very fine in philodendron, and they go clear out to the margin. No branching or no interconnecting at all. Whereas in anthurium, you have interconnected veins. You have major veins, but in between those, everything is anastomosing or interconnected like a cobweb. That is a major difference. The other thing is anthuriums have a collective vein. Those veins that go out toward the margin don't actually reach the margin as they do in philodendron, but instead they collect into a little vein that goes all along the margin. And this, this alone, with just a little piece of the blade, you can determine that. Moreover, anthurium has hermaphroditic or bisexual flowers. That is to say, both sexes are in the same flower, yeah. male and female. And philodendron has unisexual flowers with the female flower at the base, a sterile male portion in the middle, and the staminate flowers at the apex, all providing a different function. No wonder we have so much trouble, Ray. <laughs> exactly. And I was this is this is what I was watching you discuss on YouTube last night. I was actually lying late in bed watching you and exactly what you're talking about. And of course you obviously had the examples in front of you which make it so much easier. Look, your career is uh, I don't know, expansive is not the right word. It's obviously your life's work. Where has it led you? Why aroids? My first work, uh, as I mentioned, was on Barrel Color on the Island. Yeah. And at that time, there were no people who knew anything about philodendron except one guy at the Smithsonian who worked on aglaonema from Southeast yep. Asia. But he did not know the New World things, so he was of no help. So I simply had to learn this group on my own. Mm. And owing to the fact that it took me so long to understand the few species that were on this island, I was, uh, I was pulled into uh, a stronger interest. And I began to collect them all over Panama. And then I went to South America and began collecting. And what was interesting to look back on is that what I was actually looking at, in almost all cases, were undescribed species. There were very few species that were actually known. Yeah. The, the original treatment of the flora of Panama was so inadequate that it's a 500% increase from one uh, revision to the next. And even when I recently revised the species from Central America, there are about 800 species, I had to add 200 more species of anthurium just since 1986, so that many more new species have, have been found since my last revision, which was 1983-1986. Uh, then we've added many, many more new species. Even philodendron had lots of new species added. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting when we were listening to you on the weekend, you were talking about 
the the small area where yeah. you would have unique species mm. and you talked about the bird life and mm. how and the, why they were confined or growing in that one small area just tell the listeners what sort of area you would find different species in how close together or how far apart? to give you a, to give you a perfect example of that question when I was in Colombia in the department of Quibdó, which is in the northwest of Colombia, where it's wettest, it's one of the wettest places on earth, with 36 feet of rain a year. Gosh! I would go out uh, each day to an area and collect. Uh, once I came across a road that was a new road that was only went a couple of kilometers, and because it was a new road, that's always exciting because it means you're getting into forest rather than secondary forest. And I spent the first day there, and I. I found so many species. I went back another day. I continued to find more species. I went back a third day and continued to find more species. I should have stayed there until I had a, really known what was there, but I was tempted to go elsewhere because I thought, well, maybe there's another place down the road that's equally rich. Yeah. But uh, the astonishing thing was that nearly every plant I touched in that area was undescribed. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, just astonishing. And as I said, I'd never finished yeah. You could uh, collect in an area like that. And then the surprising thing is you could go just a few kilometers down the road to an area that looks virtually identical, and you would still find more species. So the the rate, uh, the high rate of endemism, where please, plants are known only from a given spot or a given area, uh, is very high in Aracy. And it's for this reason that you have many species. And... To understand why these species exist in such close proximity, one has to think about how they're pollinated and how their fruits are dispersed. So most of them are pollinated by euglossine bees uh, that we know of, but there are many other things being discovered like moths and thrips and other things, and perhaps sometimes with just an amalgamation of miscellaneous pollinators who really aren't uh, a, a specific pollinator. So these things have different times of flowering. They attract different bees. The, anther the anthuriums are co-evolving with euglossine bees so that the two groups are getting bigger and bigger. Philodendrons are pollinated by scarab beetles, the yes. big, big beetles about an inch long. Yeah. And that uh, those beetles are also rich in species. Uh, and they, they the beetles are sensing the uh, when the thing is in flower, it's a certain moment that they start flowering, and then the beetles search for and find the flowers. The pheromones? They find the pheromones. They, yeah. they smell the pheromones and they fly in a zigzag pattern, uh, honing in on, it's like a radar. Yeah. They're honing in on this scent, and when they reach the flower, they sort of crash land because beetles are not great flyers. It's not like a helicopter. They don't slowly <laughs> land. They just crash land, and they fall into the space tube, the lower part of the flower, yeah. And they aggregate there in sufficient numbers that to, they, they, they reproduce in those, uh, those little spaces. They like dark uh, spaces because they remain there for 24 hours and then fly out the next day when the plant is producing pollen and they carry the pollen with them. And a hard question because of the expanse of your career. Is there any uh, discoveries that you feel are more spectacular? Is there anything that stands out to you? A couple of... Usually when I'm, when I'm answering this question, I say just look for big round numbers because I always try when I reach like 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 and so forth, I usually search very heavily 
for a species that's, yeah. that really is something unusual. So usually, if you look for my round numbers, you'll find a plant that's more interesting than the others. Uh, my my 100,000th plant, which is named <laughs> Centimalissimum because it means 100,000, was a massive Belalontium, a, a certain section of Anthurium that was about six feet long and uh, a very beautiful plant. My 50,000th collection was a philodendron that was quite ornamental. It had an, almost a round blade with a white midrib and puckered veins and and a, and, a, and a petiole that was all covered with little ripples and wings. So I chose that specifically because it was my 50,000th collection. So if you want to look for something interesting, let's look for my big round numbers. Now, so how, how do we <laughs> access that? How do, we, how do listeners if find you go, that? If you go on to Tropicos, if you type in the word Tropicos in, in your computer search engine, you'll get a few porn shops, but you'll also, oh. <laughs> you'll also get the Missouri Botanical Gardens website. Okay. And if you just type in Tropicos, usually Tropicos and then the word home, home, that seems to be unique because it's not a part of the address. But if you hope it Tropicos home, you'll get the home website of the Missouri Botanical Gardens Tropicos. Uh, it's the largest database of plant names in the world. And we have a database all of our collections, plus the collections of the Field Museum, the Smithsonian, New York Botanical Gardens. So it, it is really a rich source of information. And if you know the name of a plant you're looking for, you type that name in. When you open it up, it'll have names and numbers, or specimens and numbers, collections and numbers, uh, collections and names. So if you're looking for a Croat collection, you would type in Croat, and then 50,000, and then you would probably get the image of that 50,000 collection. If you typed in Croat 100,000, okay. you'd get the other one. <laughs> so that's one way of looking for plants, yeah. of yeah. searching for Croat numbers or anybody's numbers. If you were interested in the name of a plant, let's say you're growing the plant under the name Philodendron scandens, you would go into Tropicals. You would certainly, you'd quickly find out that Philodendron scandens is no longer a valid name. It ha it's now called Philodendron heteraceum. So that's something you could learn to find the proper name for a plant that you're using or trying to sell. You would be able to do that in the website of the of Tropicos. So it's 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 a useful instrument. It also tells you every place that it occurs. It lists all the specimens that ever that exist. So if you were trying to find it, you could just go on Tropicos and look up look up where the localities are. Okay. Maybe one place, but maybe thousands of places. Okay. And for folks listening i know you can't see but when tom was describing the leaf mm. the fingers are sort of moving and dancing around and he really brings the plants to life and what amazes me as well tom is your memory yeah. you the what you seem to remember i know you've got a special little notebook that you write a lot of things down in but you you seem to have this <laughs> He's incred reaching for his incredible <laughs> recall and i do wonder mm. um do you buy your notebooks by the hundreds? We no. buy this by carton, you know. The, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, little, yeah. I of bet. course you do. So every one of these little black books uh, would have a date on it and a trip number. This will say Australia 2023. How and, many of those little books do you Oh, need? I have about 50 of them. No, but for this trip, what, oh, are you, no, what number are you unfortunately, up to? Unfortunately, this is all the pages I've got, so I'm I'm hoping that it lasts the trip. <laughs> oh, you haven't been busy enough, clearly. So well, I've been I've been here. It's very difficult to make notes because I'm I'm constantly talking to people, and yes. it's difficult to. Yes. But when I when I'm in a particular collection, there there when I was in Arden Dearden's collection, for example, I, every picture every picture I took, I wrote a number down, and so 
when I press the plants and put numbers on them, then the numbers go right in with this photo. So photograph one is like 108,392 or something like that. Extraordinary if you cataloging don't do that, system. If you don't do that, it takes uh, almost impossible to re- reconstruct your photographs. Oh, I know. So it's very important. <laughs> You're talking to someone very light-minded sitting opposite me. Time. I'm, I'm only up to 925 <laughs> species. <laughs> How long are you in Australia for? Uh, a total of five weeks. Oh, uh, yeah. My I arrived on December. I mean November the. I'm uh, sorry, October the 27th, and I'm departing on December the 4th. Okay. So that it runs into about five weeks. Yeah. Okay. And then you head home. Then I'm heading on the arduous trip home. Yes. 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 Now, like your life's work is is incredible. What would you like your legacy to be? Well, uh, what I what I am hoping for is that I'm replaced with not a molecular biologist or somebody who is not an explorer. I want to be replaced by an, another explorer. Yeah. Because unless we get out there and find these plants, thousands of species will go extinct before we ever see them. I estimate that just Columbia alone has between five and 12,000 as yet uncollected or at least unseen plants. Mm. So I'm trying to pass this message on to the bureaucrats that are in charge of funding resources because I think unless we actually do something about it, we'll have a vast extinction, hundreds of thousands of species, because this is just Aeracea and just Columbia, mind you. Mm. Imagine this compounded throughout the whole world. There is, we're way short of finishing the taxonomy of the Aeracea and many other monocotyledonous families like Bromeliaceae, Liliaceae, Amaryllidaceae. These are all families that that are likely to have highly endemic species in in tropical areas. So I I'm hoping that that I am replaced by another person who is willing to pick up the load and find the, the plants because. Uh, Right now, uh, everything is a completely different type of science. Taxonomy is not in vogue. Taxonomists are dying like flies. Mm-hmm. They're not being replaced with other taxonomists. They're replacing replaced with ecologists, uh, uh, restoration ecologists, uh, conservationists, uh, things that uh, really are only uh, pseudosciences. They're not. Yeah. They're not really. Uh, it, it's not going to help us with. Uh, naming and classification of plants. Well, Squire, we thank you so very, very much for sharing a little bit, just to, just touching on the absolute tip of the iceberg of the work that you have done over many, many years. It's an incredible journey, and it's been an absolute honour just to have you here today and be able to have a brief word with you. Uh, I know there's so much more that we can talk about, and we will do <laughs> that <we> separately <laughs> on a podcast, which we will post on the Curtin FM uh, website for you. Look, we wish you... Uh, fabulous travels for the remainder of your time in Australia and when you head home and uh, all the best going forward. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank and you I'd very like much. to give a special thanks to the Aroid Society who yes. have actually made it possible and and brought you here yeah. and given us this opportunity because yeah. you, you're global royalty to us. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Thank you very much, Tom. They're a wonderful group. Yes, thank you. And we are back. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. 
I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Tom Crowett as much as we enjoyed interviewing him. Now, we do have a winner for our Green Life Soil Co. $75 gift voucher, Yvonne from Morley. That gift voucher will find its way to you this week, Yvonne. Do let us know what you get up to with it. Very timely right on Christmas, don't you think, to get a nice voucher? Absolutely. The question was, John's question was, true or false, pears are used to make both perry and scrumpy drinks. The answer is false. Perry is made from pears, but scrumpy is made from apples. Who knew? That's all I can say. <laughs> Who knew? Obviously, Yvonne of Is Morley it alcoholic? Did. Do you know? I believe so. Mm. Yes. Well, that could be quite nice, couldn't yes. it? Well, one is a baby sham, and I do remember baby shams uh, going back to my youth. Yeah. Is that like baby champagne? It's sort of like that. I think it's made with pears. John oh. will come flying in to correct us all. But well, well, perhaps John should come forward with the goods, do you think, Ray? <laughs> it's getting well, next, to Christmas. Next week is our last week. I wouldn't I could go a baby sham if you could find it in <laughs> if you could find it in Perth. That would be nice to sit and have our morning tea and a baby sham de- to wash it all down. I could beautiful? make an exception. Oh, thank you. A little yeah, tipler. A little tip. Yes, yes. <laughs> Faye doesn't drink during the day cuz she falls asleep. Yeah. <laughs> True. We all do. Yeah. It's a sign of our age. Yeah. Um, thank you to John for sending in photos of his frangipani leaves. So I will do a bit of a diagnosis on it. John, I can see on one of the large leaves, it the there's only some small white dots, which, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't worry too much about. A lot of it looks like it's from an older problem. Um, but I would suggest that something has possibly sucked the sap and something microscopic. Now, on the other leaf that is closer up, there is evidence of quite a few white dots. Now, my query would be that if you wipe it, what comes off? Or if you touch it, is it merely bug? Now, it'll be soft and fluffy and if you squeeze it it will ooze so that's one way of determining what mealybug is it would also be sticky so what I would recommend if you wanted to treat for insect pests something that coats them now you probably know that my go-to is an eco oil because it's organic and what it does is send a message out and brings in some good bugs but what about if you were to get a cloth and spray some eco oil onto that and wipe the leaf clean it off and then monitor so have a look tomorrow have a look at the next day the damage may have been done in the past in which case there is no point treating it just monitor and see if it continues but the leaf itself actually looks quite okay it does not look like it's harming the plant Uh, But if you wipe it away, clean up the plant and monitor ongoing to see if it's a current problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to give away five double passes to the Keller Munda Garden Festival. How this will work is your name will be at the gate tomorrow. So I'm going to make this open to everyone because this is random. And uh, we have five doubles to give away this hour and five to give away in the next hour. 
All you really have to do is give Bev a call and register your name and you and a friend could be attending Kalamunda Garden Festival tomorrow and you could actually be listening to our very own Faye Akaro. What time are you on your presentation? Uh, 10.15 tomorrow morning, Ray, and the title of my talk is How to Create a Garden Sanctuary. So what does your garden mean to you? What do you like to be surrounded in? Mm. How can you feel good when you go outside? Well, it's certainly not if we've got pests to worry about unless you like me and you like collecting them and photographing them mm-hmm. and yes how to create habitat and make make your garden a place that you love to be in yeah as you say a sanctuary so that's mm. a really nice topic actually mm. and of course other guest speakers tomorrow well we're going to be chatting with Jane Edmondson just after the nine o'clock news uh, Costa is here uh, Hannah Maloney is here. We spoke to her last Saturday morning. And who have I missed? Josh Byrne, Josh Andrea Byrne, Whiteley, Andrea Kit Whiteley. Prendergast. Yes. There's such a huge lineup. Massive. Yeah, and not to mention um, a magnificent array of of plants for you to... It's all garden-related. And they have great entertainment there as Oh, well. they do. It's just, it's just great. And it's at Sturk Park in Kalamunda, if you didn't already know. So give Bev a call now on 94841927 and you could be trotting along tomorrow. We shall return. Curtain Radio. And we are back. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening and we will be going to the 9am news soon. For now, we're in Mandra. Good morning to Jessica. How are you? Good morning, girls. Good morning. How can we help you today, Jessica? The blueberries have just finished fruiting. Can I prune them and fertilise them now? Uh, yes, you can. Give it a, a nice tidy up and cut out anything dead in the middle. Open up the centre a little bit. Uh, trim back each of the branches and give it a feed. Is it in the pot or in the ground? In a pot. Ah, lovely. Yes. Sounds good. Yes, so that's good. Can I take cuttings from it now or is it too late? Well, you can try. You've, you've really got nothing to lose. Okay. Will do. Thanks for your help, ladies. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Have Thanks. a great day. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Jessica. Bye. And I do have an email here. This is from last Saturday, actually. Um, Jennifer Keel Smith emailed us saying that she's got the um, the fungus gnats flying Mm. around her house. They're in her pots inside. What can she do? Well, it's a classic symptoms of your pots being too wet. So would you suggest taking them out into the onto a veranda and letting them dry out a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. And what did mm. Nikki recommend for fungus gnats? I'm just trying to think because I actually said I know cinnamon uh, was something mm. and she said a lot of people say it doesn't work, but they use it quite extensively. Uh, she did mention something. Uh, I know. I know. My brain... Well, that would be a good quiz question, wouldn't it? Can one of our listeners ring in and we'll give Tell you a double what pass? Nikki Waters, <laughs> uh, what, what her recipe was to get rid of fungus gnats. She did say there was something that she they used. So maybe we could get John to help us out there. Such, we're getting old. We just have senior Well, normally I remember moment. things like that. Well, you do. I never do. I'm oh, I don't believe I don't, that, right? I have to say that I don't have fungus gnats, and it's because I'm much more careful with watering of my plants. Uh, I used to. So it's a classic sign, and it's a real good sign, to, you know, that you need to pull back. And I don't have the problem now. And as soon as I see it, I know straight up, yep. Um, I've, it's me. I've well, been... it wasn't so long ago 
we were actually getting fungus gnats in the bags of potting mix. Mm. Now, I know we mm. had problems with the quality of the bags. And continuing, I think. Uh, well, I, I heard the other I'm day that reading. they've reverted back to what they were using before and it has improved. So it might, mm. if you've changed potting mixes, might be time to have a go at looking at what you were using again. Mm. Okay. All right, now we spoke to Jessica, didn't we? So I think what's happened is that Bev is inundated with phone calls. Uh, lots of people wanting to get along to the Kalamunda Garden Festival tomorrow. And why wouldn't you? The weather's going to be perfect. Um, thank you, thank you to whoever is in control yes. of that. Uh, it's going to be a magnificent day. And, uh, yeah, we'll all be there wandering around. I bought a trolley during the week so, I can, <laughs> so that I can... You know, have my plants with me. Well, so I can I can that is a around, great dragging, idea. Dragging my trolley behind me. Well, I every time I go to something like this, I see other people. I think, oh, that is the way to go. You know, I have to carry things, lug things, do trips to the crèche like I do because I bought, I buy more than a few couple of plants generally. Yes, and uh, I just think put them in your little trolley and away I go. Oh, that sounds great, so right? Funny, huh? Actually, next week we need to talk about Christmas gift ideas. We do because next week also is our last show for the year. Then we do have a Christmas New Year break. So next Saturday will be our last show. So, yeah, that would be quite timely to talk about Christmas gift ideas. And, of course, well, tomorrow I'm sure you'll find plenty. Mm. Absolutely. See, I only think of myself when I go to <laughs> Kellerman <Kelly laughs> Garden Festival. What's on your Christmas <laughs> shopping list? Oh, for myself. Mm. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, I did say to my you other half. You won't know till you see it. I did it. say to my other half, you could buy me a plant because he said, what would you like for Christmas? And I said, oh, I always do the nothing. <laughs> I don't need anything. You could buy me a plant. That's what I said. <laughs> and then silence. <laughs> well, usually if I one of the kids will say to me, oh, do you need anything at the shops? I'll say plants. Yep, bring back a plant we love. Yeah, mm. very funny. All right, let's crack through a few more emails All leading right. up to the nine o'clock news. This has come in from Annette this morning, and she sent in photos of the New Zealand Christmas tree, Pahutakawa. Um, it's a, a beautiful shrub. Now, she says they are around 15 years old. She prunes them back every couple of years and never had any problem. Well, as plants get older, sometimes they get more congested in the middle. Sometimes they'll get scale in the middle. About eight months ago, they had a light cutback. What I would recommend, uh, and I, this is across the board, general advice. If you've got an older shrub that's cut back and you have got signs of different areas dying back, Get in there and do some detailed pruning. So open up the centre a little bit, but most importantly, remove anything that's dead, dying or diseased. Now, as to why a branch dies, it, it can have been damaged. Maybe something's fallen on it, landed on it, a ball's been thrown in, yeah. something like that. Mm. So unless you actually go in there, you can't see what the damage is. So cut back then into good, healthy growth. Get some clean secateurs and tidy up the ends. So just remove any of the tips that are brown and instantly when you've done that tidy up, the plant will look better in itself. Mm. And from then on, you monitor the new growth. Same as we were talking about with the French penny leaves. In order to determine if there's really a problem, you've got to draw that line in the sand. Remove anything that's causing the problem that you can see, inspect it, and then monitor for new growth. Mm. 
and then we can determine what the the problem might be. But it, I think it's pretty common. Okay, pretty we can squeeze occurrence. one more in. Okay, from Kay, she has sent in a beautiful photo of a succulent called Medusa's head. And oh, this, yes. Do you remember the, was it Greek mythology yeah. where the snakes were coming out of the head? Well, this is a succulent that, that does exactly like that. that. Yes. And it it has yellow flowers and it looks like all these little tendrils pouring out over the edge. It's a beautiful plant. She's concerned that um, something's not quite right. It's stopped flowering and it has long skinny leaves. This is quite normal. You could probably give the plant a little bit more sun and you might even at some point repot it into the next size pots. Certainly what I've found with my terracotta pots when the plants have been in there for a long time, the roots really fill the pot and when you water, some of the water will end up in the terracotta yep. and it's been near on impossible to get some of those plants out when the roots absolutely fill the pot. So mm. what I'm tending to do now is pot them into plastic pots and put them in and put them into the terracotta pots so they still look good. I think we're all learning to do that more and more yeah. because pots are, you know, it's too hard to... You end up having to break pots. And or, if, if a plant looks yeah. like it, you know, it's lost its vigour, it's not mm. performing, ask yourself, well, when did it get some new potting mix? Yeah. And maybe it needs to go up one pot size. Correct. We have all got jobs like that on our list of Guilty things as to charged. do. <laughs> all right, it's nine o'clock. And uh, after the news, don't forget, five past nine, we are chatting to Jane Edmondson from Gardening Australia. 27 today, partly cloudy. Right now it's 23.5 degrees and the humidity is sitting at 62%. Overnight you can expect the minimum to drop down to 18. Clouds will clear tomorrow with a maximum of 26. And on Monday the minimum overnight will be 16. A sunny day with a maximum of 27. Some lovely weather ahead of us guys. And I see that it appears to be climbing to 30 and 31 midweek and then dropping back down to 28. So we're going to be hovering around mid to high 20s. That's uh, nice gardening that's, weather, right? Well, it's doable, isn't it? Mm, we'll absolutely. Take it, will we? yeah. <laughs> and our rainfall for November total was 3.8 against uh, last year was 33.4. So unfortunately, we're about 100 mils down for the year uh, in this time last year. So yeah, we either get some rain in December or we are having a particularly Well, dry. I remember last year we... we basically didn't get rain for about 12 weeks or more Correct. so it's yeah. possible that that that's it until mm. next year yeah very very possible mm. okay uh, all right <laughs> it will be good if you want to do an email um, yes and then yes. i'll get jane edmondson okay so tanya sent us in a photo about her tomato bushes she rang last weekend now the photo shows some yellowing and and brown on the leaf and brown on the absolute tip. So it's not looking like a nutrient deficiency to me. My first thought is water on the leaves. So what I would do, Tanya, is remove any of the yucky looking leaves that you've got there. That that then gives you an opportunity to monitor going forward. If you're watering on the leaves, do it in the morning 
not at night. So you're not leaving the plants wet and water on their leaves overnight. The other thing that you could check and that would be that the soil is not too wet because yellow yellow and browning leaves can be a sign of too wet soil. So I hope that helps and good luck going forward. Let us know how it goes. Okay. All right. As promised, we're chatting with Jane Edmondson from Gardening Australia. She is here in Perth for the Kalamunda Gardening Festival happening tomorrow. Welcome back, everybody. We're speaking to Jane Edmondson, gardening royalty, no less. Good morning, Jane. How are you? Good morning. I haven't got my crown on, though, because I'm a normal, simple person who just loves gardening, and that's what I'm hoping to meet all the gardeners in Western or in Perth, anyway. Yes, well, that comes through weekly on our television sets, Jane. How very down-to-earth you are. Mm. (laughs) Yes. That's great. No, I thoroughly enjoy talking to people. I I love hearing their stories. Gardeners always have great stories about how they got involved in the garden and problems that they have. And I once a lady came up to me once and said, Jane, I got married to the fellow that she's still married to after about 30 years because he had the most beautiful um, magnolia. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, gee, that's a pretty funny excuse to get married. (laughs) Quite right, quite right. Well, speaking of fabulous stories, I read that you... Uh, spent your earlier years in Mildura and then you grew up in Melbourne and you've been presenting Gardening Australia since it was founded in 1990. What an incredible ride and achievement, Jane. Oh, well, thank you. I I still really enjoy it. it's it's uh, now that I can really you know benef- benefit from a little bit of wisdom that I've managed yeah. to pick up over the years, and from my mum. My mum was a great gardener up in Mildura. And so, yeah, that's where it all started. But I, that's why I like talking to people. It doesn't matter who you talk to, you always learn something. And yes. even even still, after 34 years of Gardening Australia, you still learn. And it, and there's no one who doesn't learn. So it's really it's a lovely thing. And that's why a festival like Calamunda is going to be uh, really good because people, that's what they go for. To, well, to, they to love to share, bit. don't they? Exactly. Has yeah. it actually changed much? Has gardening changed much since those early days when you were on Gardening Australia? Oh, absolutely essentially. In the olden, I call them the olden days, I suppose I shouldn't say that, but way back, way back in the dinosaur days when I started, um, children were never mentioned in gardens, you know, which is terrible really. You know, kids are really, young kids are really important to get into the garden, either at their school or in their home. And now that, that is happening, which is really good. The other second thing that I've really noticed how changes is how important edible gardening, vegetable yeah. gardening has become. It used to be sort of, if I, um, it used to be down the back, you know, right, right down the back behind the compost bin, yeah. you sort of hide it. Exactly. And, and now, I, like, you go, I see a lot of gardens where vegetable gar- vegetables are the heroes. Front know? and centre. <laughs> yeah, front, even sort of out on the nature strip. And yeah. you think, yeah, that's pretty amazing. So so those kind of changes have happened and I think people have got more adventurous, you know, they've got they've gone away from oh, you know, I could describe green lawns and you know, azaleas and chameleons. And people still do have azaleas and chameleons and rhododendrons, but there is an awful lot of people who love native plants. Mm. You know, many more people like to bring in the birds and the butterflies and the, the little creatures and that's really important. That's what's changed. People's attitude to how they garden and why they garden. Their attraction to nature. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're especially... Pardon? 
We especially learnt that through COVID, didn't we, where we, we did. returned to our gardens and to nature. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and how important is having a, a green space? And it doesn't matter whether it's a pocket handkerchief garden or a, a larger sort of garden. It, as long as you've got somewhere where you can get yeah. your hands dirty and, I don't know, walk around barefooted. I always like the concept of forest bathing. <laughs> I might tempt the people that I'm going to see on Sunday um, um, you know, I might tempt them with that word forest bathing. It's sort of like a meditative thing. Well, you, like wouldn't, you wouldn't do that in Jandicott where I live because all the planes <laughs> oh. would be crashing. <laughs> oh, no, we won't. Don't do that. <laughs> so your chat's tomorrow, Jane. Uh, what are you yep. talking about? Well, I've got three happening in the, uh, yeah, the day. Busy. 1015 is the, um, in the marquee, the Green Life Soil Marquee is the herbs and spices. I'm very fascinated by low... In my garden, I've got 26 different herbs or plants that are fragrant leaves, things you can do, you know, with herbs and spices. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, 12, 15, in a different marquee, it's going to be Australian plants, especially for, for growing in pots because lots of people haven't got a lot of room and they like to know what they can grow, uh, Australian plants, that is, um, in pots. So we'll be dem- I will be demonstrating that. And the third one at 2.15 is um, fragrance. Because I do you yeah, go out wonderful. in the garden yes. and do you every day make sure that some of your senses are being exposed to nature? You know, like, do, 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 we, do people go out and distinctly think, I'm going to smell and I'm going to listen, maybe taste, you know, because, I mean, everyone thinks gardeners for taste, but... But basically, you know, you can. There's a lot touch. No, people don't realise how important touch is in a garden. Yeah. So I'm going to be talking about fragrance, just that element of fragrance. Well, it in it the sounds like you're tapping into all the senses there. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. You never know where I might go. I might. <laughs> I might go hither and thither, and then finally come back to the the point that I was making in the very beginning. <laughs> that's what. That's what we love. You know, I was reading about you yesterday, Jane, and how you were saying as a female, it wasn't easy for you to be accepted into horticultural uh, circles to begin with. Uh, you describe yourself as a bit of a trailblazer. Well, yes, in a yeah. way. it's. Um, I rang up many, many people. When I decided I wanted a change in career uh, and the horticulture was the thing, I had to get a job, of course. So I rang up 25 nurseries in Melbourne uh, and asked if they had a position for a, a female, and mm. 25 of them said, no, <laughs> we wow. don't take women. So this is going back. You're thinking, I'm thinking a long time ago. This is in the 1970s. So I eventually this lovely man, um, Ted Williams, he gave me uh, a job, and it was lovely because that was the start. And then I went on to different things, and, and eventually the me. I stayed in the nursery business, you know, either owning my own or in the nursery business for, oh, 20 years. And that's, I, I think that was a great grounding because that's where you learn everything from balcony gardens to indoor plants. See, I can talk about anything. So yeah. people on Sunday, uh, hopefully they're going to bring along a lot of questions and hopefully I've got the answers because I do have a wide variety of things I can talk about. We've noticed. And you also <laughs> yes. did your own uh, radio garden show uh, for 28 years, I read. I did. I did. You're right. That's a I big did. innings. I, I, mm. uh, yes, it was. And eventually I thought, no, I, I, it was on Saturday and Sunday, having worked all the week, so I wasn't really getting a break at all. No. And I just thought, no, this mm. is not very healthy. And, and uh, you know, gardening's meant to be a very special sort of thing to 
Uh, I enjoyed talking. Don't don't think I didn't. Yeah. It was lovely. I, I still have people. Oh, we love listening to you on the radio, um, and that's why it's going to be good um, in Sturt Park to. to um, is Calamunda very far from Perth itself? About, because I'm in Melbourne, of about course. About twenty twenty five minutes, I'd say. Probably not know. even that not far. Even right, that. it's just up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> just up the hill. Okay. It well, it's a very pretty <laughs> part of. But the it's world. it changes from Perth City, where you've got the beautiful Swan River skyscrapers and King. Park, you go up the hill and everything changes. You've you've got hills and the trees are different. Oh, it's, lovely! And it, you can feel it going going into yeah. the area. The properties are bigger and yeah. greener. Hopefully, we've just had I'm some going forty degrees. Don't tell me that. It's one thing I don't want to hear. Forty degrees is nearly an anathema to me. That's I right. think, even though I came from Mildura, where they often have forty degrees. Um, I'm just not used to it. So I, I don't worry. I'll, as long as I've got a bottle of water with me, that's all right. You're, it's not going to be 40 on Sunday. You'll power on. No, I think it will be. I will power on, yes. And I've read that you've also received an OAM for your services to horticultural. I have. I, I, I love, I used to be a teacher a long time ago, and I think that probably shines out in a way. I still love talking to schools and to children. Uh, I'm still in the School Garden Awards, which is just, we had a fabulous day last Thursday in the Botanic Gardens here in Melbourne in the Oak Lawn, and there were about 500 children all sitting on the lawn um, getting their, you know, whatever awards they were going to get. Mm. And I, I talked to them about how important trees were, and I got them all sitting on the ground, and they all had to pretend to hug a tree. <laughs> so some of them hug, hugged really fat trunk trees and other ones hugged skinny, skinny, skinny trees, trees. But they all, I hopefully they'll remember it because how important are trees? Absolutely. I was yeah. at the Horticultural Media Awards when you were inducted into the Hall of Fame and oh, received yes. the gold laurel. And that was oh. that must have been pretty special. That was seven oh, years what? ago now. And you haven't... Gosh, was it? Oh, my goodness. You've kept on going, Jane. I have, well, I think I don't want to stop. It's sort of like if you stop running, you might just stop forever. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm only joking. I, I look, as long as I enjoy things, yeah. I will keep going as long as I can. And can I just mention also, there's a there's the, the t time at the festival, which is really good, and that finishes at three. And then and there's a plant creation. There's all sorts of good things. Hannah's coming over from Tasmania. Yes. You know, the, the lovely young girl with the um, girl, she's a woman, young woman, with pink hair. I yes, love her. yes. We <laughs> spoke to her on Saturday, so we're oh, excited good. to meet her as well. Oh, no. Well, they're, and they're all, I believe that Costa's going to be there and yes. Josh is going to be there and uh, who else? Um, and so you're all together doing a panel session. We are, and that, that runs from 3.30. It's a different, it's in the same place, but it's a separate um, ticketed event. Event. So you have to... Make sure that you get in by, and I think there's only limited spaces available, yeah. so you have to get get to, and you'd know how to people can book into that, wouldn't you? Yes, we'll we'll give yeah. the listeners the link, and Terrific. also it's a great opportunity for them to see the all of these great presenters from Gardening Australia at the same time up, in the same place. Up close, yes, up close and personal. And how often do you get up close and personal with your? TV oh, colleagues. Oh, often, often. Often, okay. No, no, sorry, no, I thought you meant with the public. No, oh. I, I um, with, the, with um, 
the Kos- Costa and yeah. Josh and, and Hannah, um, I've only met Hannah once. Yeah. You know? but, yeah. And so we don't get together a lot. Australia's a big country. And oh, yeah. Poor old ABC there. Well, cry poor for the poor old ABC. You know? So, um, no, but it's, it's, we do see each other. Okay, I saw Sophie not so long ago, and she's always well-remembered and well-recognised. So it's all good. But the, the panel will be a really good thing. Yeah. So they can come with questions, have some fun. I'm sure with Costa, he might do something really devilish. I don't know. He, <laughs> uh, he always does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I take my hat off to Andrew and Mandy for pulling this together and bringing us such great talent to Western Australia and to our show. We're very fortunate. It's such a privilege. Oh, that's great because they have done an amazing job. I hear from everyone who's been before to Calamunda that... that um, it just runs like clockwork and they're just absolutely <laughs> wonderful people to, to um, you know, to, to, to have running. So it's good. Well, we don't know how they do it, how, how they pull it off. I think this is the 19th event they've done. So they're yep. just such stalwarts and, yes, they pull it together and they, they make it look quite effortless. Oh, isn't that fantastic? Well, I reckon if people turn up and we can say hello to them and get their story yeah. and hear, hear some questions, I shall so enjoy the day. And well, I'm then, can I say, I'm then going out to Margaret River oh. just to have a few days of quiet and How maybe mag- just a little sip of wine, maybe. Oh, magnificent. <laughs> As well, you yeah. should, Jane. Yes. yes. I think so. I'll need it after mm. three talks and a panel, yes. <laughs> 100%. Well, you know, young lady, we wish you well and we thank look forward you. to seeing you tomorrow, meeting you tomorrow, and uh, yep. we thank you so much for giving us your time today. And uh, a pleasure. And uh, we will be there with bells on tomorrow. And uh, oh, okay. good luck. I'll look with the, the two ladies with the bells. Good. Okay. <laughs> Ding-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> good. All right. Very good. All right, Jane. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have a great time in Perth. Yes, thank you. Cheers for now. Bye. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Faye. Now, we've got Stu online. Stu's from the Perth Aroid Society, and Stu's going to help us out with the fungus net. Remedy. Stu, hi, how are you? Good morning, ladies. How are you both? Good. Uh, very good, thank you. How did you like the interview with Tom? I loved it. I really loved the conservation message that you, you provided at the end. Oh, yes. Very, well, very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So tell us yeah. what you do for fungus gnats if you get them. Well, I don't anymore. Um, mm. I used to have masses of them because I have a lot of indoor plants mm. and it was always a, a huge problem and I looked, I invested a lot of time into researching and looking into why I keep receiving these things. And I, you've already mentioned one where the larvae are already in the potting mix. Yeah. Mm. So my love for aroids came about with the solution being that we need open airy mixes. So I, I've transferred that learning. So I use cocoa peat, um, pumice, um, perlite, and and that open airy mix stops the larvae from being able to grow. Mm-hmm. So the, the fungus gnats don't lay their larvae in that, and it breaks the cycle, and it stops the problem. Um, also, things like um, light expanded lecker, light expanded clay balls, um, also um, pom. Pom works as well. They hate pom. What what is pom? So pom is. Um, I believe it's a it's a volcanic rock yeah. pulverized into small granules, and it's used uh, primarily in um, 
aquaculture, not aquaculture, hydroponics. Yeah. And it, it works. It works a treat. And the thing is, I've been experimenting with lots of other plants that you know traditionally you'd always place in the soil, and it works amazingly because it creates that humidity around the roots. So it works well with growing massive plants, and the plants grow so well. The only, I think, the only downfall with it is that the expense and the investment. You have to invest time into making your own mixes, um, but it, it works absolutely one hundred percent spot on. Well, you're right there, and certainly this year we've talked more about making our own mixes. What, and I think that kind of happened we when we. We learnt more about Hoyas and we learnt more about aroids and their requirements and the, coupled with the problems that we were having with pests and diseases and the awful mix that some of the plants were coming in, we knew as soon as we got them home that we had to repot them and then going and making our own potting mixes has been a game changer. Sure has. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it changed everything for me. Even the, as I mentioned earlier, the, the rate of growth is is more than double with my plants. But that being said, I do fertilise more frequently, but in lower strengths. So, yeah. what are you fertilising with? Um, I'm u- primarily using growth technology products. Yeah. Yeah, their their products just have all the um, the macro and micronutrients required to 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 really successfully grow indoor plants. Mm. So what's your collection like, Stu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty extensive. Is it? Is oh. it? Yeah. We can see a visit coming on. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'd love to see what you've got. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the, yeah, it's, it's and, and ever-growing as well. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's a night I don't troll all the different plant sites looking for what's what's on this yes this is um you and me both welcome to our world yeah yeah yeah. well it's been like that for a long time um i had a back injury um spinal injury and and i spent a lot of time trolling while i was unable to unable to walk and um yeah (laughs) it just grew from there but i've been doing this for over 40 years Wow. So where where did you start? What sort of plants did you start with? Uh, just common plants. So um, I'm just trying to think back to uh, there was uh, succulents. Um, my grandmother loved succulents. She loved roses, and she um, it started off. It's probably longer than 40 years. Probably closer to 50 years because I I know when I was a toddler, you know, just out of the pram, my grandmother. I would sit there with my grandmother potting plants up. And wow. getting my hands dirty, taking cuttings, you know, and it progressed from there. You know, Aww. collecting seed from the garden and propagating the seed, yep. you know, veggie patches, all that type of thing, and then the passion just grows. Oh, you know, that is heartwarming. I don't know if it happens so much now. I'm sure it does. But it, it just seemed like to be the normal thing back, back then. then you know? I agree. It's a different world now, isn't it? Yeah, it is unfortunately. Yeah, and um, do you do you propagate and sell your plants as well, Stu, or you just keep collecting? Now, I guess I do propagate, and I do occasionally sell. Yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty bad at giving my plants away. Oh, I, aren't I, we I, all? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I'd rather give them away. Um, yeah. To some extent, but I do have some very expensive plants, and I know my wife cringes at the price of some of them. Oh, you yeah. tell her. Kerry <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Tom, I think um, for the first arrow mate that I met, I went and spent two grand on plants. Yeah, <laughs> not hard to you do. You know, 
no, no, very easy to do, just to throw throw two grand in. On the and I was like, oh, it's okay, I'll sell them, and and I'll, and yes, <laughs> we did sell them. That's yeah. what I say, Ray, Ray, Yeah, Ray, as you know, you bought that um, strawberry shake off me. Yeah, that was one. Of, that was one of them. Yeah, and it's um, a beauty too. Yeah, no, it's good. And the variegation stayed stayed constant. Yeah, 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 and it's got a lot of pink in it. It's really pretty, my strawberry yeah, shake. I'm very happy with that plant. So explain that to the listeners because they may not have heard of a strawberry shake before. Well, he has, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's got beautiful cream and green foliage with a pink hue through running through the leaves as well. And the leaves can, in the right conditions, get rather large. And, yeah, uh, yeah he's uh, they need a fair bit of humidity, don't they, Stu? Yeah, they do, they some, do. Some um, say but they they're um, quite fiddly, but I found the one I got, you know, from you, I found it a very good specimen, and he's not giving me any grief whatsoever. I can't say that for all the plants I've bought. Yeah. Well, it's a, I believe it would be a complex hybrid of a, a lot of different plants, mm. and um, it, it is actually quite hardy. I've got, yeah. I think I've got seven or eight of them out the back that were given to me as a gift um, because they'd lost their variegation, and that's so hardy. Uh, it's so hard you to get it back. Them and the, Mm. Ignore them and they and they thrive. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I think with variegation, the most important thing is to take it back to the last node where you had variegation. Mm. If you take it back to the last node, then it's, it, it it should push out that growth of variegation. Mm. I, I, I've experimented with um, mm. a lot. I collected a lot of monstera that were low variegation or no variegation, mm. and cutting them back to the last node where they had the variegation, they pump it out again. That yeah. is an excellent tip, and I know yeah. I've done that with a couple of mine um, mm. very recently. So, yeah, yeah, good, I- good idea. Work. You've does got work. to be ruthless sometimes, don't you? Unfortunately, yes. Mm. You know, you, you see all this beautiful growth on top of it, but it's not what if you paid all that money for a variegated plant. That's what you um, want. You, you know, want the variegation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, no. and, and the other thing is, it, yeah, it's reverted back, but take that and, and plant it again. Mm. You know, experiment, use it as an experimental plant. Try and put it in an area of the garden you'd like to see something like that growing and let it go and see what happens. But sometimes it can come back, can't it? It can, but very rare. It did did happen to my friend Shirley. She had a cutting from a variegated monstera that had reverted Mm. and the, the growth tip was put in the ground and three leaves on or so, started producing variegation. Yeah, it could be that those low-light indoor situations that, that can that can cause that to occur. Um, I think the key is to look to the stem. If you look to the stem, yeah. there's still that variegation in the stem. You're so right. Chances are it is definitely going to pump out something later on. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these mutations are man-made and um, some of them are sports. And they've taken people have taken cutting of those sports and then um, mass propagated that 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 sport into what we see now as a variegated monstera. Mm. But a lot of people, especially in Thailand, you see now people are using things like uh, radiation to encourage um, mutation in in the cells, and that's how they're pumping out all these new varieties. The plants are using either chemical or or radiation yeah. to to do that. I mean, it's interesting, and you know, mutation occurs naturally in the wild, but. Um, they're, they're bringing out all these wonderful variations of plants. You know, I'm looking at a, a jungle fever right now that has beautiful variegation, and, and yeah. uh, that's one from Dexter, uh, yeah. Dexter Burgos. Yeah, yeah. Flora yeah. Magnifica. Yeah, and um, yeah. and he, um, yeah, he, he he brings in a lot of plants that have wonderful variegations, and I love them. Mm. But I think my real passion is with you know the the, the natural, and some people call it boring, but I, I I prefer them in their natural state. 
you know, the original ones. Mm. Um, yeah. Growers like uh, Ian. Um, yeah, non-tissue Ian culture. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Not, well, I think tissue culture has its places. Yeah, it does. Um, it definitely has its place in cultivation. And there seems to be a bit of a um, bias. There, there seems to be a group that, yeah, against it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've seen and good and bad, Stu, you know, with tissue culture. You know, I've seen yeah. examples. Uh, did you watch GA last night, Gardening Australia? No, I didn't. Oh, no, I didn't. Well, you'll you'll they, love that. Watch it on replay. You'll love that. Yeah, I, I often jump on when I have time and look, yeah. look on the internet and watch it. We uh, but, we uh, must get you in the studio next year. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds fine. Happy to have I'd a love chat. Love to have you. All right. Well, yeah. we better wriggle on. We could talk for an hour. <laughs> yeah, we could. Couldn't we? Want to take up thank, own, so. thank you so much for ringing in. We appreciate it, Stu, and uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Bye, ladies. Thanks. Bye, love. Bye. Thank you. That's the Bye. first time I've said that this year. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I started last night. Did you? Got my first I won't Christmas do card. Anything until it's December. Yeah. It's Fair be, enough, it's too. Be December. Have you got your tree up? No. No. No, I'm not that keen. <laughs> <laughs> Have you? No. And I've got plants that I probably should pot on little <laughs> tubes. So, yeah. Priorities. I priorities. need to make my list tell me about and it. stick to them. Yeah, no, tell me about it. All right, and we know we do, there's a lot of talking in the program today. We would love to take your calls, 94841927. You've got an email? We've got a, another couple of emails, Ray. This is coming from Jerry, and she says, Good morning, ladies. Thank you for all the info you provide every Saturday. Truly love your show. So we're grateful for lovely comments like that. Thank you, Jerry. Now, she would like to know where she can obtain a Modra Indian jasmine plant. Now, I have occasionally seen these around. The botanic name is Jasminum sambac. So it, it is a, a shrubby jasmine plant, beautiful scent. You will find it around different places. I don't particularly know where there's any available at the moment. Mm. You can... Go online and Google under shopping. Mm. Some of the local nurseries will have them. You can always put your name down for one. Mm. But specialist uh, growers will have them. Uh, maybe the Cottage Garden Circle, Herb Society, that's the sort of place you might find them. You would go or to. one of the plant festivals. Mm. Ask around. You never so know. I might ask tomorrow or if someone knows and can let me know, uh, we can pass it on next week for our last show. I think next week we'll also be having John in the studio. We we'll be doing a wrap-up of what's what's happened through the year, the number of emails, perhaps stats about the podcast, the compilations that he's put together. So that's kind of a new level that we've gone to. And we'll also be talking chickens, stage two, with Megan Smith. Yes, I look forward to that. All right, we are heading to Maddington. We're talking about a pest problem. Anne, good morning. Hi, Anne. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. How can we help you? I haven't got a problem. I bought two uh, viburnum um, plants and I've put them on opposite sides of a, a walk through the garden and, um, and I... I I wasn't able to get out for a few days. And, and the next thing I realize is that and they, they're just crumpling up and um, the stalks are going to like a point. 
and uh, something is is bothering them, but I don't know what. It's now affecting my hibiscus and frangipani. Right. Okay. And and, could uh, be rust. I don't know what rust looks like. It's not to do with lack of water, is it, or that sudden hot 40-degree day that we had? Those are the first things to look for, particularly with newly planted plants. Um, So having a look at the root system, check your watering, check your soil moisture. If... It is a pest that has affected all of those plants. It's quite likely that you will see something. Um, Or sometimes you have to even think further about what might have happened in that garden. I've I've heard examples like someone's taken something out onto the back lawn and spray painted it or varnished it. And next thing you know, an area of lawn has gone quite funny. Or someone's washed the car or their Mm. weed spraying equipment. Mm. Um, Mm. Not that I think this is the case, but you you need to do a bit more investigation. If it is a pest or you can't come to a solution, take a photo of the general area, include fence, pathways, etc. So a, a larger landscape photo and then a couple of clear close-up photos. And from that, we might be able to determine a bit more. Right. Well, um, apart from the viburnum being opposite each other, um, the hibiscus is in another part of the garden, and the frangipani well, is in close proximity. But um, the viburnum has been in the ground for... Uh, a while now, and it was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed to um, the, the top leaves of the stalks had gone, and the stalks had gone to this point. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like a chemical burn or something. Maybe it's an option. You mm-hmm. There's been no roundup or anything like that. But no, I different don't, plants I don't in different like parts yeah. of the garden. Too coincidental. Sound, you know, it sounds like an overall thing. So mm. I, I wonder if it's weather conditions. We also did have like terrible easterly winds. Do a lot of damage. So hot and dry winds, Burning. and that can yeah. can harm new growth. Um, yeah. If you could send us some photos, Anne, is that possible? Um, I'll try. What what was the? Uh, I know you've said it many times. I, what I'll do is I'll put you back to Bev, and she will give you the email address. Okay, that would be that great. That would be Thank really you helpful. Very much. And and, okay. and and if you can follow what Faye has mentioned to you with regard to the pictures, some you know to give I, us I will. An, as overall surroundings and some close ups. Okay. Popping Thank you, you very much. Popping you back to Bev. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, that's Anne. Let's go to Rolly Stone. We're talking about mushrooms. Ian, good morning. Oh, good morning. Hey, guys. Great show. Always listen. Oh, thanks, Thank Ian. Thank you very much. Uh, look, um, I've got a station up north and I, I bring um, the old hay and the cow manure down from the paddocks, you know, uh, in the garden. I just bring it down by the, the trail load. Um, and I've got one bed only, which is a problem, Um and all these mushrooms are appearing. Um, it doesn't seem through the winter, but now they, they're crazy. And when I fork it over, so I just, that's all I use, the cow manure and the, and the hay and mulch. Um, 
pretty much, and everything else tries, but these damn mushrooms, I was going to swear, they're oh, um, coming Ian. up everywhere. You, everywhere, you, you think you think it's a problem. I think it would be pure joy. Uh, well, I don't think they're edible. No, 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 no. But they have such an important role in the ecosystem. Many mushrooms are decomposers, and so particularly with yeah. hay or straw, uh, yeah. th- when weather conditions are right, the fungal yeah. threads begin to fruit so they rise up into mushrooms now we did mm. have some rain this week i don't know how much you got in rolly stone but oh, in, in moist conditions the thing is when conditions are favorable they come up straight away so it may have been the rain that we got we only got like four mils but oh, I, I pumped I, I pumped out of the river so i just uh, i watered Pretty much every day. Yep. Know. So you've got moist yeah, conditions. It's br- yeah. breaking down. The fungal threads are always happening. 95% of fungi is underground. It's only the 5% mm-hmm. when it fruits that pops up and you see it. So I suspect that it was the weather conditions are right. It was humid. It was moist. And boom, yeah. you get them yeah. coming up and they they will disappear very yeah. quickly. Yeah. They're not a bad thing generally, no, no, uh, no. unless they're harming, uh, unless fungi is harming your plants. And I don't think that's the case. In fact, I think that's adding to the biodiversity and I think it's probably yeah, a yeah. very wonderful thing. What, what happens when I fork it over, um, it quite, gets quite hard down and it's all white where they are. Yes. Is all the all these soils turned like very very light colour. You could not really white, but pretty much so. Um, so and it's hard underneath, you know. But they're huge. Some of them, they're just and they they come up in huge clumps, you know. Like, Can you send us that. photos, Ian? Um, yeah, I'm here now looking at them. Yeah. So, well, if um, if you can. Then I yeah. can identify them and I can tell you exactly what they're doing. But I suspect they're a, a decomposer. Yeah, so you wouldn't... I was going to sort of try to spray them out or something. No, 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 no. We're here. The Let's Talk Gardening yeah. Show is all about educating listeners about I the know. good things to do in their garden. And, and sometimes pests are not pests. And if they are, yeah. we can yeah, manage yeah. them in a better way. Nature is such an incredible thing. Without fungi, we would, well, the planet would be piled up in dead logs. There'd be nothing mm. to break them down. Mm. So mm. decomposing. They just feed off that, don't they, really? They just, the fungi feed off the, the rotting materials or whatever. That's right. Know. They help break it down and then there's an insect level that come in. We actually have to move on, but thank you for a lovely yeah. discussion and would love yeah, to see lovely. photos. Okay, thank you. Okay, Cheers. bye. All right, thank, thank you, you, Ian. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, lovely man. Okay, when we return, we're chatting with Greg. Curtain Radio. And there's 15 minutes left of Let's Talk Gardening. Then you will be joined by Jim Crinan with Classic 70s coming up very, very soon. We're in Belmont. Hi, Greg. Morning, Greg. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, ladies. Lovely program. Thank you. How can we help um, you today? Just, just a query. Um, I, I spoke to you months and months and months ago about um, rats eating my lemons, the rind of my lemon tree. But um, that was say about four months ago, and now I've 
I've got lemons by the thousands on my tree, but not one ripe one. Ah, um, yes. I, I, I seem to have, from from memory, I, I mean, I, I remember being able to go out the back and pick, you know, three, possibly four lemons at any time of the year. I, I, I don't know what's going on. Is, is my tree lacking in something? No, they do take quite a while to ripen. Mm. Uh, I can't tell you exactly how long, but months they'll mm. happen in their own good time i'm afraid and is your tree healthy yeah. greg i'm just looking at where yeah. you're located yeah. um make sure that you don't yeah. have any issues with your tree no it's beautiful it's, it's beautiful and healthy um i did some trimming up and it's no gall and wasp out. or anything mm. like that no i did have that a little while back but i've um i have on top of it. branches and, and so on yeah that problem seems to have been uh, hopefully eradicated but um, the only thing that worries me is I'm going to all of a sudden have thousands of ripe lemons. Um, mm. Is there nothing, nothing I can do to change it at all? Well, you can harvest them yeah. and freeze them. Mm. Well, my wife is actually doing that and she's making ice blocks and doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Oh. I mean, they're of, a, they're of a decent size too, but there's just so many of them. It's incredible. Well, and I think that's probably due to you cutting back the tree. If you've cut out the gall wasp and the tree's healthy and the rats pruned it as well, and yeah, then you you would have encouraged more branching, more flowers and more fruit set because it's a happy, healthy tree. We can't do anything about how long they take to ripen. Oh, well. And maybe, just... maybe they will just not all ripen at the same time. Maybe well, if you're monitoring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, no no problems. I'll just wait and see what happens. Okay. Best thing bye we bye. can do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thanks, Greg. That's not a bad problem to have, is it? Would you just, like he's saying, he feels like he's going to have too many. Would you just maybe remove some? Is that an option? Cull, yes, cull. but, well, it will lighten the load of the tree. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's it's horses it. for courses, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Like I've got a grapevine that's fully loaded, mm. loads loads and loads of bunches, and I think I'm probably better to just nip it and manage and net what I can, even if we only get a dozen bunches. Mm. A dozen bunches is better than than having loads that we don't get to maturity. Yeah. So yeah. you have to make that decision cool. of what suits you. All right, time for a bigger tree quiz. $75 gift voucher is up for grabs if you are a Curtin FM member and haven't won a prize in the last 28 days. Compliments of our good buddy up at Bigger Trees, Kerry Spriggs. Now, Frangipani ornamental and fruit tree specialist. They have exciting stock arriving every week. Heaps of colourful delights for you to see always. And the heat has certainly got the frangies flowering. Uh, lots are in flowering and many are close to flowering. And as I say, this is where you're going to go and see and have a look at the frangie range there and pick some outstanding colours. Uh, and also offering colour at Bigger Trees this week is the Elstromerias. They're your princess lilies and grevilleas and leucospermums. Crepe myrtles are in flower, Persian silk trees and hibiscus is flowering. So Bigger has a huge range of beautiful ornamental trees as well as a wide range of fruit trees. Don't forget that. So for your big plants and for your little plants, Bigger Trees has got it covered. And yes, they deliver across the metro area. How convenient for you. Browse their colourful Facebook page for updates. Open Thursdays to Sundays each week. 
if you'd like to check out their website, biggertrees.com.au. Now, here's a doozy for you. <laughs> John says the 1970 movie, The Strawberry Statement, has a great soundtrack. One of the songs written by Joni Mitchell and sung by Buffy St. Marie is called The Circle Game, which begins, Yesterday as a child came out to wonder, caught a something-something inside a jar. Okay, so the, the song is called The Circle Game, and The Circle Game, it begins with, Yesterday a child came out to wonder, caught a something-something inside a jar. What did they catch? Give Bev a call. It's a doozy, I told you, 94841927. We shall return. Curtain Radio. It's been a pleasure having your company with us this morning. We've had a, a big morning, a lot of information. I'm sure you'll agree. Let's Talk Gardening is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. Now, we do have a winner for the $75 Bigger Tree gift voucher. Cheryl from Oakford, you clever lady. The question was the circle game, which begins yesterday a child came out to wonder, caught a something inside a jar. The answer is caught a dragonfly inside a jar. Well done, you. And the next line says, fearful when the sky was full of thunder and tearful at the falling of a star. Thank you, John. That was his quiz question for the morning. And Cheryl, you've earned your oats this morning, your $75 Bigger Trees gift voucher making its way to you this week. Now, we still have, and I'm going to have to give away, uh, five double passes to the Kalamunda Garden Festival happening tomorrow at Sturt Park in Kalamunda. Five doubles to give away. Just give Bev a call right now. Your name will be at the gate, 94841927, if you, you can take a friend with you. Uh, five doubles up for grabs right now. Meanwhile, we will cover some emails. We will, Ray. Now, we did have this call come in late last week, I'm pretty sure, uh, from Deborah in Rockingham, and she has some black bamboo to give away. Yeah. Now, what, what I can suggest, Deborah, is that if you're on online, if you're on Facebook, then pop them up on Marketplace. She's also got some Elkhorns to sell. So once again, Marketplace really is, is a good place. The, the sort of place for that. Yep. Otherwise, we would be inundated with uh, giveaways and yeah, yeah, selling we, we don't have each enough week. time um, on the show for that as If well. you are giving away things free, you know, I can highly recommend just popping them out on the verge, either with or without a free sign, and you'll you'll find that people come along. Uh, I call it verge trading. And a lot of communities now have a local Facebook page, your suburb, and you can actually put a note on there and say, outside such and such address, help yourself. Yep, 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 for sure. Now, one of the queries that we had uh, from Francis was about growing in styrofoam boxes. So she likes to read recycle and hates throwing things out mm. so she's after our opinion on using the boxes for planting edible plants like herbs and leafy greens lettuce spinach chard etc she's been doing this for a while and finds that they're growing pretty well and i've done the same thing in fact i turned three into wicking boxes mm. and so mm. just mm. by opening or cutting an opening in the bottom up from the bottom, I put in some expanded clay, a layer of shade cloth and potting mix on top. That creates a water well or a reservoir in the bottom and it only needs watering maybe once a week depending on the weather. 
The plants grow really well. The boxes are insulated. Mm. They're easy to move around. They're also great for turning into worm farms. Styrofoam is not so dangerous if it's not being burnt. So that's perhaps where the danger comes comes. in. But these boxes are used to transport broccoli and food items. So they're, they're relatively safe. They will break down after a long period of time, so they should then be disposed of appropriately. Or you could break them up and use them as crocks in the bottom of pots. So, yes, permission to use styrofoam boxes. Mm -hmm. The other question that came in last week was about using treated pine sleepers. Now, these potentially may have been, not sure if they're treated with arsenic or in Mm. later years Mm. uh, creosote was used. that's correct. That was a regular when we were planting branches in the ground, but that has now been banned. Mm. So for edible plants, there are safer options for growing edible plants. Any of these uh, toxins can leach into soil. Uh, Believe me, contaminated soil is a whole other issue. You don't want it. we're, We're faced with a lot of these things in our environment. Many we we don't know about. Unless you get your soil tested, you don't know. Soil testing is very expensive. But some of these chemicals, forever chemicals, are around forever. So, you know, you you need to give a lot of consideration to how you're growing your ed, edible, edible garden, what materials you're using, what you're adding and where it's coming from. Correct. And another query that we had was about hydroponics. Um, But I was going to look into it. There's a lot of shops around if you want to go and buy new products. But the question was about making making up your own using items you had. I think I don't know of anyone who does that where you can actually go and have a look unless you're involved in perhaps a, a gardening group, a community gardening group or some sort of club where like-minded people get together mm. doing hydroponics. There was certainly a lot when I was doing aquaponics. Yeah. And, you know, these people sometimes will share on Facebook. So once again, to you know, that's a place where you can get a lot of help and support. It's a great place where people come together. They share photos. So going online and, and asking the question and directly, being directed to one of those groups very innovative there's blue barrels there's polystyrene boxes there's pvc channels mm. it's really endless what you can do and of course there's a lot of rabbit holes out there, <laughs> there is. Uh, growing hydroponically is the most water efficient method of growing plants in the world today yeah that's a very interesting mm. now you haven't shared with the listeners your find this week very special i know you've been so excited well, I thought you would have spilt out of you. I know. Well, as you know, Ray, I spent one night sorting my orthopteras up to midnight. You know, a lot of girls. What that means? (laughs) Well, I've actually brought in my photo album here. It's crickets, grasshoppers, and Katie did. So, orthoptera is the family. Oh yeah. And so wreaking havoc in my garden as we speak. (laughs) Oh well, there's so many different types, Mm -hmm. and there was a. A new one in there as well, perhaps an undescribed species. Orthop- so, orthoptera. Yeah, orthoptera. No. Orthoptera. But the big news is the bug hotels are going off. John's actually found 
Megakylie Monstrosa in his Aldi bug house, which, which is, is a, amazing. A big black bee with oh. a little bit of white on his face. Yeah, it's it's, it's the huge. biggest bee. Ever. Biggest Mega Kylie bee in Australia. So mm. that twice the size of the red-eyed resin bees. Mm. But I found buzzing around one of my very old bug hotels was a little Mega Kylie bee with an orange abdomen. Yeah. Very and I went, unusual. oh my goodness, because I, yeah. I do have mm. a, a piss on wasp like that. Mm. But I, once I got a photo, I went, oh my goodness, you are a bee. And I have not even. I've barely not even seen one online, Ray. Yeah. So I contacted Terry Houston from the museum and he hot-footed it over yesterday. Amazing. And I gave him a tour of my bug hotels, which he was slightly impressed, I think. <laughs> and we have, we will, we might have a bee that has not been seen in Perth. Yeah, well done. So you. watch this space. I might well actually you. take a photo tomorrow when I talk about creating your own garden sanctuary. And this and this uh, discovery encouraged you to go out and buy a new microscope. I did. And, oh, yeah. and a camera. Yeah, of course. And I can bring the littlest beetle up on a big screen and then I can click on the ruler and measure it, not in millimetres, but in UMs. And I know Jim is just fascinated. He is just <laughs> reeling in the corner. Uh, we think he's been ring barked. Um, he's uh, got a few bit of bit of fur and hair and skin missing over there. He's had a bit of a bit of a topple. He said he ran into a stump or something. Didn't I he? know. He's I, been stumped, well, he, he says. you can't stump Jim. No. But um, on that note, we think you better lift that bike alone, Jim. <laughs> Thanking Bev Daring, John Glidden. Great morning. Uh, of course, Jim, what's left of him will be entertaining you uh, through to 12 with the classic 70s. My gardenism for the morning is here's to the girls covered in soil instead of glitter. I like some, I like a bit of shiny. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.